You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. In 1912, uh, William uh, Taft was sitting at the breakfast table in the White House. He was President of the United States and about to uh, dig into another great meal uh, when there was some commotion in a nearby room. As it happens, there was an intruder who was trying to force his way in to see the president, and uh, he was arrested. His name, if you're interested, is Michael Winter. What I learned uh, when I did a little bit of research on this uh, at Wikipedia is that over the next 100 plus years, there would be, in total, after 1912, 35 attempts to force one's way into uh, see the president of the United States. 35 att- that includes, by the way, a, a toddler who squeezed between the bars when her parents weren't looking and ran out onto the White House lawn. That was just this last August, actually. The Secret Service were asked, uh, are you going to detain her for questioning? They said, well, we'd have to wait till she learns how to talk. Uh, you going to arrest her? No, mom's going to give her a time out. Uh, but 35 times, of course, nobody made it as far as Omar Gonzalez, just last month, September, and you, you know that story well, right? Omar Gonzalez, who climbed over the fence, uh, he sprinted across the White House lawn, he went inside the front door, into the foyer, actually overcame a Secret Service agent, made it all the way past the stairway to the uh, presidential uh, residence, and deep into the East Room before he was stopped and tackled uh, on the hardwood floor there of the East Room. Omar Gonzalez. Now, the question that you might wonder is, you know, what do they want, these 35? What are they after? Why, why would someone do this, aside from the toddler? I think what they want is access to power. Uh, but none of them would get it. None of them would get that access. And yet, I want to say to you tonight that in the history of the presidency, there has been one fail-safe way to get access to the president. There's one way, and it's through the knee hole of the president's desk. Let me show you what I mean. Here's a picture that you may have seen before. Have you seen that? Does that look familiar to you? That's John F. Kennedy uh, in the Oval Office at his desk administering the uh, affairs of the United States government. Uh, It looks very important. And, And yet underneath him is a little boy. This is John F. Kennedy Jr., uh, little John. Now, who wouldn't want access to JFK? Many would say the most powerful human being on the planet at this time. But nobody can get it, Uh, not very often anyways. I mean, not the press, not his own party, not in many cases his staff, even his close friends. But John Jr., any day of the week, any time of the day, can get access to great power through the knee hole of his father's desk. He just has to crawl through that little opening and and crawl right up into the lap of his father and say, Daddy. And he has his rapt attention, even his heart. Now that's real access. And that is uh, the access of a son. And when you think about what it would mean to you to have access to power like this. I think we need it. I don't mean 
to a political figure or even the President of the United States, I think you and I need access to help that would make a difference in the world. One of the common things that I find as I talk to people is that we all carry about us some sense of hopelessness. It doesn't take more than 10 minutes to come out on a conversation. Hopelessness about the way things are going in the world. I mean, just think of Ebola and the fear that we feel around that. But also hopelessness in a personal way, in a deeply personal way. I mean, I don't know what you brought through the doors as you came to worship today, but I know if you're like me, every single one of you brought some situation with you that is just an impossible situation. If you were honest, you'd say, you know, I, I just really have to learn to live with this situation because, like, it's an impossible situation, and you might fold your arms and put on the stiff upper lip uh, because you really don't think there's any way that it, things could change in this area. I, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Is it uh, finances? Is it relationships? Is it uh, your work life? Uh, I, but you know what you brought. You, you, in some way, live in a cul-de-sac of impossibility, and you just can't find for the life of you a way out. And so we need help. But I think that's why we're here. I don't think any of us is here by accident tonight. I think we're here by divine appointment. I think God wanted you here. He wanted you to hear this message, uh, his word to you this evening. He wants you to know that you come to worship the one who brings life out of death, who brings good out of evil, who brings hope out of despair. The one the scriptures tell us for whom nothing, nothing, is impossible. And you have access tonight to him through a son. Let's look at this more carefully. I want you to open up the Bible, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 14 through 17, and then 26 through 27. If you didn't bring a Bible, no sweat. There's a black book on the pew rack in front of you. Please pull that out and open to page 900, I think it's 19. Page 919. Is that right? And you should find Romans chapter 8. You're in the New Testament there. And we're going to look for, for, for verse 14. We'll read 14 through 17, the end of that section. Then we'll jump down a paragraph to verse 26 and read that down to 27. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud. Standing shows a sign of respect. It's an act of worship. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now let's jump down, please, to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, as Jesus says, but these, what you just read never will. Please be seated. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would come now among us because our words do fail us, and yet your Spirit searches our hearts, and your Spirit knows the heart of the Father. And we pray that you'll connect those two hearts as we meditate together on your word. Jesus' name, 
Amen. Uh, that boy in the knee hole of the president's desk had a nickname. I, remember, I remember, wonder if any of you remember the nickname of, of JFK Jr. John John. Very good. Yeah. And it turns out his family didn't call him John John. Uh, that wasn't their name for him. There's a story behind the name John John. Apparently there was a new member of the press corps one day who overheard the president calling uh, for his boy. And he called with a kind of an urgency uh, and speed that put the two names together. John, John. He also called with a kind of a, an intimacy and affection that only a, a parent could use for another human being. And so the reporter assumed that this was what I would call a love name uh, for the little boy. John, John. He put that in his article and it tickled the rest of the press court. Everybody started, and the whole nation started referring to this boy as John, John. It wasn't his name. But, you know, it, it doesn't kind of sound like it could be a, a love name for somebody. Oftentimes, kids, you linguists tell us when they're learning speech, as infants will, will repeat uh, vowel sounds, repeat consonants. Like uh, a kid might say, Baba for bottle or for blanket, right? And so John John kind of sounds like a little toddler's name for himself. John, little John John. But, um, but that uh, was not the case. Uh, now, that's, by the way, I wonder, just for fun, does any of you have a name, a love name like that, that somebody, there's only like one or two people in the world that are allowed to use it of you? Uh, I, I see, uh, yeah. My, my mom calls me Porgy, and you're not allowed to use that name. I don't want to get an email from anybody calling me Porgy. By the way, she calls my sister Dump Truck. I don't know what, uh, there must be a story behind that. I don't know how, you know, you, there has to be love in a relationship for that to be okay. Don't you call my sister Dump Truck. She's a lawyer now, and I don't think that would go so well for you. Um, so a love name, it communicates uh, intimacy, uh, doesn't it, affection. Well, there's a, another uh, story that I want to share you behind a name. If you look back at the Bible in verse 15, you'll see a strange word appeared there. The Apostle Paul says, we cry, Abba. We cry, Abba. Now, there's a story behind that name as well, and there has to be, because um, even though for some of us that word is a familiar word, it's not an English word, is it? Abba is not an English word. And um, so you ask, well, gosh, the translator here translated everything else that Paul was writing. He's writing in Greek, by the way. He's writing in Greek. And they translated everything else into English. Why didn't they translate that one word into English? Well, it's because Paul didn't translate it. See, Paul's writing in Greek, but the word Abba is not a Greek word either. It's an Aramaic word. And this is the language that, that would have been spoken in, in the home of Jesus in that time, Aramaic. And the word Abba means father. Paul tells his readers that because many in Rome wouldn't speak Aramaic. And, uh, and our footnote tells us that as well. But it, it's more specific than, than just father. Because the Aramaic word for father is Ab. And we just spell it A-B, Ab. That means father in Aramaic. And so where does Abba come from? Well, it comes from children. It's that reduplication of a syllable that children who are acquiring speech t tend to do. Uh, Abba. They would repeat father when they're addressing their father. When they're sitting in their dad's lap and they want to address their father, they would say Abba. This is what linguists tell us, where, where Abba comes from. It's very much like where um, Papa comes from, right? From Patri, from Father, it becomes Papa on the lips of a child. Or uh, Dad becomes Daddy or Dada, Dada. You see, so it's a child's name 
for a father. Now, again, why wouldn't they translate it? Why wouldn't they could have said something like daddy? Well, the reason is this name is the name that Jesus used for God. And it was so sacred to hear a human being speak of God in such intimate terms that the followers of Jesus tended not to translate it in other places. It goes un- unrendered and just left there in Aramaic. It's as, though, it's as though the reader's being invited to hear the speech of their Savior speaking to God. And it was, at first, the followers of Jesus, you could imagine, would kind of blush. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a kind of a personal, intimate thing for uh, an adult male uh, to say. It's a love name for God. But then it became less of an embarrassment and really more of a scandal. Because who the heck does he think he is speaking to God as though God were his father? Nobody before in, in the history of the Hebrew people, had, 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 had no one had ever used this word of God. Never. And so uh, it was so scandalous that they began to persecute Jesus for speaking of God, the creator of the universe, the ground of all being, the one who holds uh, your cellular structure together and allows every single breath. Abba, Daddy, Papa. This is the word that Jesus used. This is the word that the one, the creed tells us, is the only uh, begotten Son of God the Father. Now think of the power and the the meaning of this word for Jesus. Um, Christy Gilbert is here tonight uh, somewhere. I saw Christy was moving, so I don't know where you are. I've lost track of you. But um, Christy Gilbert is a young woman in our congregation who is being very brave. Um, Jan Myers, for decades, led a class here in the morning called Ladybugs. Any of you had any experience with Ladybugs as parents or as children? This is the most amazing uh, uh, class for fourth grade girls ever invented. It's really a way to introduce them, literally, to the person of Jesus Christ. It's really wonderful. It's blessed so many of us over the years, but Jan Myers, is, this spring, is retiring. And so uh, Christy Gilbert has said, uh, I, I, I don't want this thing to go away. And, it's, and said, well, I'll form a team of people who will continue ladybugs for future generations of fourth graders. Now, this is a huge task. And so uh, recently she sent on an e-blast to a lot of people. I'm not sure how many people, hundreds of people maybe, or a hundred people, a lot of people. And um, what she did is she broke the task into parts, sort of bulleted out the things that would be needed, the people that would have to come alongside this community of girls in order for ladybugs to continue. Well, she got an email back right away, actually the very next day. But surprisingly, she got a response from a man who didn't live in Seattle. I mean, how could he help? It was actually a man who lived over the mountains in Spokane. But not a stranger to her. It was actually her father. Uh, Dick Carpenter wrote her back this email, and it's very brief, but I want to read it to you. I I was privy to this conversation, and it felt like a sacred uh, thread. Here's what Dick Carpenter writes back to Christy Gilbert. He says, Beloved princess, tell me how much you need for the girl-friendly Bibles and the duct tape. I'll send a check to cover the cost. And then he closes. Your intrepidness continues to delight me. 
Isn't that a great message? I want to be that kind of dad for my daughters. Beloved princess. I mean, I don't know if that's a love name that he uses often, but that's the way he wanted to respond to her. What's your need? Just tell me what your need is. His heart went right out. I'll, I'll write the check. I'll cover the cost. And he says, your intrepidness continues to delight. I delight in you. Of course, of course, I will do whatever I can to help you. You see the power of a loving father in somebody's life. By the way, I asked both Christy and her dad, Dick, for permission to share this email with you. I got a really brief, even briefer than that email back from Dick Carpenter, who says, you bet, let the princess reign, is what his response. <laughs> That's great. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, boy, I wish I had a dad like that. And it's true, many of us don't have uh, earthly fathers like that. But you know what the Apostle Paul is saying to all of us? He's saying, you have a dad like that. You have a father in heaven who is just like that with you. When we say with the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, we're not just uh, stating a fact about Jesus. We are opening ourselves up to the implications of that fact in our lives. This is how the creed becomes a life. Notice that the Apostle Paul in verse uh, 15 of chapter 8 doesn't say, when Jesus cries, Abba, Father. He says, when we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba. Now, this is remarkable. If it seems strange to people in the first century that Jesus would cry out to God as Abba, Father, imagine how strange it is even today to suggest that you and me, regular people, sinful people, have any right to call to God by this love name, Abba, Father, Papa, to crawl up into his lap, to be drawn into his heart as his beloved princess, or as his beloved son, to whom he says, with you I am well pleased. How could that happen? Well, Paul tells us right here, he says, it's the Holy Spirit. Everybody who has faith in Jesus Christ is given the full measure of the Holy Spirit. He calls this spirit here the spirit of adoption. You've received a spirit of adoption in verse 15. And the spirit of adoption cries out within us, witnesses with our spirit, is a co-witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, that word adoption is fascinating to me. It, it doesn't come up very much in the New Testament at all. It's never in the Old Testament in Greek translation. It's a compound word, the word for son and the word for uh, set or place, the verb. And the idea there, the thought picture, is that you are set in the place of a son. You are put in the place of a son uh, when you're adopted. You, you are set into the lap. You're set into the heart. You are made child by decree when you're adopted. Now, for some of us, the male language of that image is a little bit troubling, but I want to tell you, Tim Keller uh, wrote something that really caught my interest. He said, I was having a conversation with a woman who came from a non-Western culture who grew up in a very traditional society, and she said, in my family growing up, it was very clear that there was a two-tier system. The boys were special, and the girls were second-class citizens. In fact, the, the firstborn boy was going to receive all of the honor, all of the privilege, all of the wealth in that family. 
We just knew it. We live with that. But she said, when I started to study the Apostle Paul's language, when he talks about adoption, I realized how revolutionary this is. Because he, Paul writes in a very traditional patriarchal society. And what he's saying is, in essence, all of you, all of you, men and women, boys and girls, old and young, all of you are sons. You're in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And, and as such, there are no second-class citizens in the family of God. Uh, no, every one of us, we are children, he says, and Paul says, if children, then heirs to the honor, to the privilege, to the wealth that is owed to Jesus Christ as the one and only Son of God becomes ours as well. See, this is grace. Also, some of us joke about, well, you know, I'm, you know, like it would be a bad thing to be an adopted child. My parents told me I was adopted or whatever. We need to be very careful about that because there's something profoundly special about being adopted. Paul, in this argument here, is making a contrast between being a child by nature and a child by decree. A child by nature, that story didn't go so well in the world. Uh, the child by nature is the child who, uh, like the prodigal son, had an inheritance coming, but squandered the inheritance and went off into the distant country and who, at the end of the day, had nothing and would have nothing, had no claim on anything. But the adopted son is like that prodigal who came back and found the father with arms open, ready to sweep him into his love. Say, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals. My son who is dead is back to life. And now he had no obligation to give him an inheritance. And yet by decree, he says, you are my son. And so when we look at our lives and we say, boy, by by nature, I'm really not much of a child. I don't live like a child. Uh, I don't have any right to expect anything by nature. But, but Paul says, that's okay, because in God's grace, you are a child by decree. You've been adopted. There was a little girl in first grade. teacher brought a photograph of a family into class. And one little boy in the picture had different color hair than the other kids. And someone laughed, and they said, oh, maybe that that child was adopted. But there was a little girl in the class who had herself been adopted, and she spoke up, and she said, I know all about adoption. I was adopted. And the teacher asked, well, what does it mean to be adopted? It means, said the girl, that you grew in your mommy's heart instead of your mommy's tummy. Isn't that it? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul is saying? You grew in the heart of God. In the heart of God, you came into your existence. And you live the span of your life. And there you will remain forever. You're adopted. Oh, you have access. You have access to great power. You have an invitation. And so my point tonight is to pray. To pray in the Son of God. Because if you ask me, George, well, that's great. But how do I exercise the privilege of that access? It's simply to pray. To pray in the Son of God. And that word in, the preposition is very important. Pray in Jesus the Son. Pray with Jesus the Son. Pray through Jesus the Son. Even if I dare, pray as you were Jesus the Son. Because you are in him. Let me ask you, which is a better picture of your prayer life? Pop quiz. Because we kind of have been given two images tonight. Which one fits your prayer life better? One is the image of Omar Gonzalez who 
just shows up at the gate and episodically, spasmodically streaks across the lawn, busts into the door, has a sense that I'm not at all welcome, has to overcome someone who's trying to keep him out, then ultimately finds himself in zip cuffs, face down on the hardwood floor in pain, howling for the attention of someone he knows really doesn't care. Or another picture is that picture of John John. John John, who just decides on a Saturday morning to wander into the White House and to crawl through the knee hole of his father's desk up into his lap and just to sit there and enjoy his belovedness. See, it's a hard question, isn't it? And if you want to move from one to the other, this is what the apprenticeship is all about with Jesus. Every rabbi would teach his followers how to pray. That's why they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And you know what he says? Do you remember? He says, well, when you pray, say this, our Father. Our Father. Now, I'm imagining his disciples raise their hands. So, Jesus, you just misspoke there. What you meant to say is your Father. No, Jesus would correct. I want you to say our Father. He said, I'm going to draw you into that place where I sit in my Father's belovedness. And you will pray in me as though you were me to the Father. I'm going to teach you how to do that. And look, Jesus had to do that constantly in his own. In his humanity, Jesus constantly had to withdraw into a lonely place. And there's this refrain in the Bible. He withdrew to a lonely place. He went aside to a solitary place to pray. He, he, he found himself alone in the wilderness to pray again and again. If Jesus, the Son of God had to constantly pull aside to be able to hear the voice of his heavenly father say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How much more do you think you and I need to practice that kind of prayer? Prayer in the son. Some of our university students are saying, our goal this year is to take the rare out of prayer. I like that. That would be good for all of us. That's your assignment this week, to take the rare out of prayer. Just Try it for a week. Live the week in the presence of your Heavenly Father. This is the privilege of the knee hole. had a friend of mine, uh, he's got a gym buddy. Maybe you have a gym buddy. And his gym buddy came in and he said, oh my gosh, my son is in trouble with the law. He's got a court hearing. There's a history of this. I don't think this is going to go well. And my friend said to him, well, look, um, let's talk about this. He introduced him to the concept that God knows all about this and that God cares all about this. And so he said, would you mind if we prayed about this together? And he didn't. Right there in the gym, they prayed for this man's son. Well, the next week, just last week, he came literally running into the gym, called across the floor in front of everybody else, and he said, God answers prayer. My son has been released. You know what? The greatest privilege every Wednesday night when I gather with my small group is to hear from my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ what it is that they're doing in their workplace, their needs, how their lives are touching the world, and to lift those things up before the Lord in prayer. Just last week, we had an answer to prayer, and I can't give you the details, but it, it was a, a profound thing that touches deeply on global health. Some physicians in the group. Remarkable. Jesus says, uh, whatever you want, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. You have not because you ask not. And I want you to think about your impossible situation. I want you to think about that cul-de-sac of impossibility and that place of hopelessness in the world or in your life. Would you be willing to take it into your Father's lap and pray in the Son? Let me close by returning to that photograph 
I'd like to look at that again one more time. Um, there he is, John John in the knee hole in the White House. If you look closely at that photo, you'll see where John John is kneeling. There is a plaque over his head. You can't, you can't read it, of course. But if, if you could read that, it would tell you that this desk is called the Resolute Desk. Many generations of presidents have used it by now. The Resolute Desk was given by Queen Victoria to Rutherford Hayes in 1879. And before it was a desk, it was a ship, those timbers. And, and when it was a ship, it was more famous, not for being a ship, but be, for being a disaster. Because the Resolute was lost at sea, shipwrecked and abandoned. The Americans found it and returned it to Great Britain. And out of gratitude, the Queen had it made into a desk and gave it to Rutherford Hayes. I, I think she wanted that president and future presidents to remember that when all seems impossible, there's still hope. That even out of disaster, life can come. Now, this photograph was taken in October 1963. And some of you know enough of your history to know. Three weeks later, actually, by the time this photograph made it into Look magazine and was in the magazine racks, John John would have no father on earth. And in that moment, in his darkest moment, he had no words to express his grief. It was a time in which the whole nation was reeling. And the image that would stick in the country's mind would be that tragic image of John John, remember, saluting the casket as his dad went by. And I just wonder if maybe somehow he went back to this desk. He found himself kneeling in that place, crying out wordlessly to God. Did the Holy Spirit of Jesus draw him into the love and affection of his heavenly Abba? Remember that the most significant moment in Jesus' life when his disciples remember him saying, Abba, was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Jesus' darkest hour. There the gospel writers tell us Jesus was on his knees in prayer and he said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want but what you want. He's referring to the cross, and God the Father did not remove that cup from Jesus the Son. But Andrew Murray, the South African theologian, reflects on this, and he he thinks maybe God just once said no to the Son in order that for all of eternity he might be able to say yes to you and me. Let's pray. Abba Father, we do cry out in desperation. And in delight. When we can't find words, we know that your Holy Spirit is available to us to pray on our behalf, to align our prayers to the will of Jesus so that you will always say yes to our prayers, except when those prayers would take from us something better that you wish to give. And so meet us now where life seems desperate and impossible. We pray that you'll bring healing and renewal and fresh hope into our lives and that you'll send us forth from this place as a people 
of hope, who can truly speak of real hope into the lives of the people around us. We pray it in Jesus' name, in the Son. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.